we had a hammer. No, really. And we would just like hit the back of the TV with the hammer and it would work. <laughs> and so I don't know, maybe that's what they did to have us come to your home today. They just took a hammer and just went. That's why I'm not back there because that's what I would do. Anyway, trivia. This is what happens when the pastor's wife makes announcements. You get lots of stuff you really, the men really don't need to know. We know. But women like it, so humor us. Okay. Before you're seated, why don't you give a virtual high five to someone or an arm bump or if they're in your family and you haven't hugged them in a few days, just give them a little hug. The children are dismissed to go to their classes. Praise the Lord. And then you may be seated. First thing we want to do is share a wonderful testimony with you today from Susie, wave your hand. Jose, don't wave your hand. He's private. Um, and this was for Jose's brother. We prayed for him last week, for Juan. And Susie wrote this to us on Monday, the day after we prayed for Juan. She says, hey, Beth, I want to thank you and the church for their support and prayers for my brother and to give you a praise report. The doctor says that Juan is breathing on his own. No ventilator is needed, and he's responding very favorably to the treatment given. Praise the Lord. We also got another praise, uh, prayer request um, over the, um, I think it was over Facebook for somebody who also asked us to pray for their situation, which was very similar. And we heard from them a day later and had the same testimony. Praise the Lord. So God is faithful and good, and um, we rejoice with that. Praise the Lord. Um, also, we did want to let you know this. Um, there was, we don't have to be sad because going to heaven is always a good thing. But for those of you who know um, Kirk and Janice Henry, uh, they came to our church for many years. Janice went home to be with the Lord within the last few days. And she, um, she, they were so involved with the church for many years, taught in the children's ministry. She was a close friend of mine. She worked part-time for the church helping with kids, and, um, and we're going to miss her. Um, but she, so remember to keep their family in prayer. Um, and also, if you knew them and you're interested in any arrangements, they don't have any as yet, so please call the church office, and we can let you know. Pro probably give it another day or two, and then we can let you know, um, we can let you know what the arrangements are. So please keep their, their wonderful family in prayer. We, we love them so much. Um, we wanted to give you a couple of other uh, great praise reports. As you know, last um, Sunday we had photos with Santa, and really <clears throat> we just did it through word of mouth. And um, I know that the lamps brought like their whole street. Uh, yeah, their whole street, and they, it's just precious because they have been really during this whole pandemic time. Oh, there's lamps. Wave, Corrine, so they know who lamps are. Okay, I just saw you. And Bo, Bo is a... Is that you behind that mask, Bo? I can't ever tell who people are. That's Bo. Anyway, they brought their whole street, and others brought different family members and different ones, and um, it was just such a blessing. You know, we wanted to bring to children and to families like joy, and it did that. It was a wonderful event, and um, I'm going to tell you one testimony from it, and it was from, um, oh, Sandra, are you here? She's with the kids. They, um, Sandra um, works with, um, oh, I forgot to ask how I'm supposed to say this. 
She works with uh, uh, teenagers who have autism. And so she brought a couple of those boys. I don't know if they're from the same family or not. And one of the young men is about 17. And they came after the 1 o'clock time. And um, at, during a time when it was slow. And everyone just kind of came at the right times. And so it was slow at that time. And he came in the back door. And he saw Santa sitting there. And he's like, hey, Santa! He was so excited to see Santa. And um, it just... Uh, so anyway, I guess, I think, I hope I'm getting all the story right. Don't correct me if I'm not. It's close enough. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I, I've learned over the years being a pastor's wife. I, don't correct your husband. It's close enough. It's good. I could be wrong, too. Anyway, so, um, anyway, well, I'm sorry. A little distracted here. I've been up since 3.30 again. What is it? Anyway, okay, so... Uh, Oh, so after he was done visiting with Santa, because there was nobody else, he and Santa, they put arms around each other like this, and they were just dancing to Christmas music. And the mother just had tears in her eyes, and she said, thank you so much for doing this for my son. And so, you know, it's not, it, many things, when we do something that's directed by God, okay, it's more than just that gesture, it's, it, it brings a spiritual blessing and a deeper blessing to people. It's just like this food that we're doing, you know. It's not just going to be, or those Samaritan's Purse or the things that we're doing. It's not just that action, but the spiritual blessing that it brings with it when God is in it. And so anyway, Santa wanted to thank all of his helpers. He had two elves there that day. And all the helpers that stayed and helped, it was a wonderful event. And so... We want to thank everybody that had something to do with that. Um, okay, and so just a quick mention because people in the church don't know about it, only the families knew. But the children had last night, they had, a, a, it was a movie night, but they also played some games here at the church. And um, so we don't, you know, there's other things that are going on. We don't really say everything, but I saw video from it last night. And, and they were just... You know, they were laughing, and they were having fun, and they were having normalcy, and they um, had little uh, sleds, those little round plastic sleds that you go down the hill <clears throat> during intermission, and they were pulling those kids on that sleds with ropes through the room back and forth, and they were just laughing, and they were just normal. And the children from our church are so blessed compared to what so many children are going through. They are not living in fear and we're endeavoring to do for them and all. We're endeavoring to, to bring joy to lives. And so anyway, we don't tell about all this all the time, but it, I had to share that. That was so precious. Okay, then <clears throat> uh, a few of our projects. Our Orphanage Christmas Project. Um, we have seven different ministries that we're giving to, and it's over 14 different orphanages. And so far, we have received $10,000 toward it. We did three projects. We did Samaritan's Purse, and we went over the top. Look at us. We went over the top. We had 738 boxes. We did this orphan Christmas project, and we have $10,000 so far. And food is overflowing. We are already starting to give out food and gift cards. 
three projects, you guys. We are doing three projects over the top in this time. It just touched my heart. Anyway, so this last week we gave to India, Haiti, and Mexico. We sent some money off to them. And then we do have, so if, if, and if we receive money for any of those particular countries, we will still send them whatever money you designate toward that. So if you just say orphans, we will divide it up. But if you list a country that we name because that country pops out to you, we will give that extra money to that country. And if it comes in after the date, we always still send the money and send another check. We just try to get it early enough so that they can do something about it. Okay, so India, Haiti, and Mexico. We still have Nepal. Numerous ones in Romania, the Philippines, and Tan... I don't know if they're, I don't remember Pagamires or if they're in Tanzania or it's in Africa. I'm sorry. They've moved to a couple of different places and I don't remember which one they're at now. So, anyway, that's good news. Um, Christmas, and so we will receive offerings for that through today because we would like to get out checks. But again, if we get it afterward, we'll send it on. Um, then also, um, the Christmas dinner and food for families, you can bring it through next Sunday. We have a, had an overwhelming response, and thank you. And um, we will give you a few testimonies. I'm not going to give it today about some, to some homes that this is going to. And so we'll give you some of those testimonies next week. But I want to encourage you that if you know of somebody, because our response has been great. A lot of times people who need it the most don't speak up. So if you know of somebody or you think of somebody, call them and please check on them and then let us know because that's a lot of times how we do things. People are like, oh, no, no, it's okay, but they really do need help. Sometimes the people that need the most help are that way. So uh, then let us know and so we can put it all in, in touch. Um, yes, we will be having a Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock this year. Praise the Lord. Could you hand me those two books? I forgot to bring those two books. And the books that we've been talking about um, by Rick Renner, we order more every week and we sell them out every week. Everything in the bookstore is 20% off. One lady told me today, the one book, um, What to Do When the World Has Gone Crazy. She goes, boy, was that written for a time like this. And um, it is a great book. I've been re uh, reading the other um, Last Day Survival Guide by him. It's an excellent book. We recommend that. And then also, I just wanted to mention, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, and it's um, John, uh, God's Generals for Kids for, by John G. Lake. And so this is a child's storybook giving the story. Actually, I had this vision about almost 20 years ago, but mine was a picture book. This isn't a picture book. I like pictures in my books, but it's for a little bit. But anyway, it's a great book so kids can read about John Lake and learn about John Lake. Then I learned that there was more than just John Lake. There's books written by Smith Wigglesworth and other different ones that put the stories of their healings, of their miracles, and of their ministries 
into a great readable form for kids. Highly recommend. We got those in, but I forgot to say anything, so they didn't know. And then the last thing I want to tell about, this is also a new book that just came out within the last six months. A good friend of ours, Tony Cook, he's been at the church many years ago. Um, we, we see him kind of regularly when we've been going on the pastor's trips, as I mentioned, over to um, Greece and Turkey and, and retracing the New Testament church areas. And so he has like a PhD in this now. And um, he's just, when he speaks when we go on these tricks, trips, he has so much knowledge and information where he bridges history with the Bible. And it's it opens up the word of God to you like it just... I don't know, it, it has opened it up to me. So he's done this book, Miracles and the Supernatural Throughout her Church History. And you would be surprised how many uh, people that we hear about, you know, that we had no idea that they had miracles or supernatural works in their ministry, how many of these do. And so um, I, I recommend this book to you as well. It is back there, praise the Lord. Can you all say, thank God she's done? <laughs> I can if you can't. Let's pray. Oh, and when I'm done with the prayer, then our children are going to come up. Yeah, that's your cue. Our children are going to come up and do a, spe a few special songs for us. I told them, be sure and take your time because we like to see them line up and wave and do everything they're not supposed to do. That's the most fun. <laughs> so let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together here in joy, freedom, and enjoy the body of Christ and the family of God together. We pray that each person that's in here today and under the sound of our voice, Lord, that you would minister to every heart whatever they have need of. Hallelujah. Strengthen each one by your spirit. Reveal your will and your plan to them. And meet them where they are. We hear from you today, O oh Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, amen.
seed for the child born that night to be our light. H is for his holy name. R is for to rejoice with gladness and joy. I is for Emmanuel, God with us. S is for the star that led the wise men to him. T is for the truth and grace that was sent our way. M is for Mother Mary laying him in spotting clothes in the manger. A is for eight. A is for angels singing songs of joy. S is for salvation to all who believe.
And while you're standing, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you've done for us. We thank you for the life of God that dwells within us. We thank you, Father, that that spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We ask that you would teach us today by the Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see and know all that Jesus has done for us and who we are in him as a result. We love you, Father. We thank you for your great favor that's upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in uh, Revelation chapter 12. There's some things that we've been teaching on for the last several months concerning the last days. And some of these things I just can't get away from. So in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, it says, Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that his time that he hath but a short time. Now skip down with me to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is giving us an overview. The 12th chapter of uh, Revelation gives us an overview of the devil, how things were before he rebelled against God, and then how things are going to be in the last days. Now, some of these things that it speaks of are talking specifically about uh, tribulation events and things that will occur during the tribulation after the church is raptured. But notice that it says that he makes war with the remnant of the, her seed, the woman's seed, which is uh, Israel is the woman being d depicted in this uh, illustration. But then it talks about not just those that we know who are the descendants of Abraham, the physical descendants of Abraham, but it talks about the testimony, those that have the testimony of Christ. So it can't just be talking about Israel alone. The point that I'm trying to make on this, or the point that it makes in this, is that there will be great persecution against the church that's left, or the, the, those that, that get saved after the church is raptured. The Bible talks about the 144,000 evangelists that begin 
on the second day of the tribulation period, the first day is God destroying the armies of Gog and Magog that come down from the north to attack Israel. They're defeated in one 24-hour period. And then immediately following that, it talks about the, the 144,000 evangelists. We know that they're all Jewish, physical descendants of Abraham. And they go about during that, uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, getting people saved. At the halfway point, the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, or just a couple of days after it really, they're raptured along with those that are saved through their preaching. But I want you to notice that it talks about that there was a war in heaven, but that war in heaven came to an end. At that point, the devil was cast out into the earth, defeated, utterly defeated, with the third of the angels that he took with him. Now, turn with me also to Daniel chapter 10. It tells about Daniel's vision. Daniel is, begins a 21-day fast, or really, he starts a fast. And after the 21st day, the angel appears to him, and he gets the answer for what he was fasting for. So he, his fasting came to an end. But it tells us some things about how things occur and what happens in the spirit realm, in the unseen realm. Verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the, th the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, I want you to notice something about this, folks, because this is the way the Holy Ghost works. It says that something was revealed to Daniel, so he began to fast for answers. I think most of the time we just assume that he started a fast, but God initiated his fast by the thing that was revealed to him. Now, we know the thing that was revealed to him because he tells us further on in the chapter. That thing that was revealed to him was Jeremiah's prophecy about Israel being captive to the Babylonians for 70 years. Well, he knows that 70 years is coming to an end. So there was something about this that the Holy Ghost prompted Daniel through revelation to bring him to the place where he searched diligently for the answers to Israel's return from captivity. So here, after three weeks, 21 days, he's been fasting. It tells us it wasn't a, a total fast, but it was just a partial fast. Verse 3, it says, I ate no pleasant bread Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I, did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. It says he ate no pleasant bread, but it doesn't say he didn't eat anything. So he's fasting for a purpose. And that purpose is to gain revelation from God, further revelation from God on Israel's return from captivity. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, which is called something... And then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the barrel, 
and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his, eye, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the, vo- the voice of his word like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, saw alone, I, Daniel alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. They didn't see anything, but they were aware of the presence of God in some way or another. And they skipped out. Now, folks, this is a very common thing. People that aren't familiar with the power of God or the presence of God, they get freaked out by it when it occurs. They recognized there was a supernatural event or a supernatural occurrence taking place. But they didn't even stop to find out what it was. They just up and ran. Therefore I was left alone, Daniel said, and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face. And my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Brother Hagin used to talk about how that people would question when hands were laid on them sometimes and they'd fall out in the spirit. And he said people get bothered by the fact that people, other people fall by the power of God. He said, wait till he starts setting them up. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. First day. In other words, he's asking God 21 days before this time takes place. He's asking God to give him revelation about Israel's freedom and return from captivity. And God immediately answers. Now, it takes 21 days to the answer to get through. But God did his part right up front. I wonder if that's still the way God works today. We have to accept that this is something that reveals how God works. We have to understand and accept that the Bible says that God instantly answers when we call. But a lot of times because the answer is is long in coming, people give up what would have happened if Daniel had given up what would have happened if after the first week Daniel said well I certainly wouldn't have expected an answer by now and so he just gives up on his fast his seeking God folks God's not the one that's withholding from us ever he hears us when we pray In fact, the Bible says that he answers before we call. 
You can't get any quicker than that. So he said, from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come from thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, came, the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is yet for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by thy vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? As for, as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then he said, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come folks this is a unique situation that reveals to us how things work in the realm that we cannot see here's a man on the earth setting himself to get uh, answers and direction revelation from God and God immediately responds to that revelation or that re request on his part for the revelation concerning Israel's captivity. We saw in Revelation chapter 12 that there was a war, but the war was ended. Now we see in Daniel chapter 10 that when a man on the earth sets himself to understand or to gain knowledge, truth, revelation from the Lord, God instantly responds. There are times... And the Bible reveals this to us. There are times of greater spiritual interference than other times. These times of spiritual interference is simply re the result of the devil and his activity. What we read in Revelation chapter 12 about the devil's anger at Israel and the remnant of his seed, which includes the church, it, in, it implies that the activity of the devil increases the more and more we get, uh, the shorter and shorter the time is from the rapture of the church. It indicates that spiritual, the spiritual atmosphere is degrading because of the devil's work on the earth. Now, that shouldn't be anything that scares us because no matter what the devil does, the devil at his finest and strongest position is no match for the word of God or the name of Jesus. 
But it's still important, I believe, for us to recognize that spiritual conditions change. The spiritual atmosphere changes. Now, for what purpose does this spiritual atmosphere change? We see in Paul's letters and Paul's writings to the church, one of the things that, well, he confirms this spiritual atmosphere situation in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me begin reading with verse 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Apparently, somebody's written a letter to the Thessalonians and uh, uh, signed it as Paul's letter. And it contained information, false information, misinformation, about the rapture. And the person authoring, the true author of the letter, apparently saying something about the church having missed the, the, the rapture and that event had already taken place. And so Paul's saying, I didn't write it. And he said, don't be concerned if you hear or receive things as purported by me or purported to be authored by me because the word that I told you and the things that I showed you when I was there are still in effect and they'll never change. So he says in verse 3, no, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In other words, he's saying, since the Antichrist hasn't been revealed, you can know for a surety and know with proof that you don't have anything to be concerned about. Now, folks, think about this. There's somebody intentionally trying to subvert the church and its beliefs. Paul doesn't say who it is. That might mean that he doesn't know who did it. But it also might mean that the Holy Ghost just didn't imp uh, impress upon him to reveal who it was. Because it really doesn't matter who it was. When we know and come to the understanding of the way the devil works to try to deceive the people of God, then it doesn't matter who the source is outside of him. So he says these things can't take place. Literally, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, can't be revealed until the church is removed from the scene. He describes him in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, he's talking about the Antichrist. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, he's saying there's something very specific. There's a power, a spiritual power, that ensures that he cannot be revealed. The Antichrist cannot be revealed. Well, since the Antichrist hasn't been revealed, it's impossible for you to um, have experienced or missed the rapture. It's impossible for that rapture experience to have happened because of this withholding force. 
Now, what is this withholding force or this withholding power? It's the Holy Ghost. It's the presence of the Holy Ghost in the church. Remember, the Bible talks about man having been given authority. God's original plan in the Garden of Eden, or in the creation account, tells us about God's intent for man to have authority on the earth. Let us make man in our own image, he said, and let them have dominion over the works of our hand. The Bible says in Psalm 115 that the earth, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. And so the Holy Ghost, the empowering presence of the Holy Ghost in the church, as dysfunctional as the church may be, as divided as the church may be, that power, that Holy Ghost power in the church is strong enough to keep the devil from revealing and operating in his greatest plan or purpose. Now, once that withholding force, the presence of the Holy Ghost in the church, is removed from the earth through the, tri through the rapture so that the Antichrist can be revealed, well, then the devil will continue in a much accelerated pace as he rushes headlong toward his own destruction. So now you know what withholdeth or is restraining him that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now let will let and until he be taken out of the way. In other words, he's saying the power of the Holy Ghost will keep the devil from revealing the Antichrist no matter what until the rapture of the church. And then shall that wicked be revealed, again the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of righteousness, unrighteousness, excuse me, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now notice verse 11. And for this cause, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, remember, this is after the church is gone. After the church is gone, God lets people, ungodly people that are still on the earth, he lets them have what they want. So much so that they operate under a strong delusion that they might believe the lie. Folks, there comes a point. The Bible says the mercy of God endures forever. But even so, there comes a point where God lets everybody have what they want. There's a point where God says, okay, you don't want the truth of the gospel. You don't want the salvation of Jesus. Have it your way. There's an Old Testament precedent for this. God told one of the prophets of the Old Testament not to pray anymore for Ephraim. Leave Ephraim alone, he said, the Spirit of God said, for he has joined himself to his idols. 
there comes a point where God says, okay, your choice, have it your way. Now that point where the church is gone, the church is raptured, then sin and unrighteousness will abound without any boundaries, without any restraints whatsoever. When I look at things that have taken place over the last couple of years, it amazes me how unrighteousness has advanced. The speed with which things are taking place is just mind-boggling to me. Imagine what it'll be like when the church is gone. Thank God imagining is all we'll ever have to do because we won't be here. But again, the spiritual atmosphere changes. We're living in a time where the devil is accelerating his power and his works much greater than ever before. It's not as great as what he wants it to be, and it's certainly not as great as it will be when the church is taken away. But the spiritual atmosphere is certainly changing around us. Now, for what purpose does, do these things take place? Look with me to Matthew chapter 24. This is where Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end. Beginning in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 A.D. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. First thing he makes mention of is deception. Well, we read in Revelation chapter 12 that the devil deceives the whole world. And so deceitfulness is his only tool. It is through deceit that he strips man of his authority and misuses the authority that was given unto man. So Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. One thing that I want to point out, and I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked too much on this, but the fact that the disciples are asking him, notice the questions they asked. Let's look again at verse 3. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of the end of the world? Think about what that presupposes. That tells us that at least for this moment, at least in this instance, they believe that he's leaving and coming back. Now, you may remember that Jesus upbraided the disciples because they wouldn't accept that after the occurrence of Matthew chapter 18 where he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? 
You remember Peter answered and said, well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus turned it on them and said, who do you say I am? And Peter answered for the group and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus reveals that that was divine revelation, not because of the things that Peter had seen or the disciples had seen, the healings of the signs and wonders and miracles, the turning of water into wine, the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes on a couple of different occasions. He said it was divine revelation that caused them to know that he was the Christ. And then it says that from that point forward, he began to clearly teach no parables, no hidden mysteries or anything like that, but he began to openly teach them, the disciples, not the crowds, but the disciples, that he had to go to Jerusalem. He would be crucified and raised from the dead on the third day. But when those things take place, the disciples are certainly in a different position than what he refers to in Matthew chapter 24. He upbraids them for their hardness of heart and their refusal to believe about the, about the crucifixion and the resurrection. But at least for this point, this event in Matthew 24, they seem to have understanding that he's going away and, and returning again at a, a later time. As such, because they believe what he has taught them and shown them, he talks to them as if they were spiritually mature. There are a lot of times, different places where Jesus said, I've got a lot of things to share with you, but you can't take it now. You can't handle it now. But when it comes to the end time events, he begins to speak clearly to them. So he says, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive, uh, shall deceive many. Now, who's going to accept or believe if somebody presents himself as the son of God? That seems like an easy thing to overcome. Who's going to fall for that? But the Christ is the one that paves the way to God. Apparently, and we can see more and more, more, and more of this beginning or happening in front of our eyes. But apparently the way to God was going to be confused. And deception will take place regarding the way that God wants us to be. Or the way to God himself other than just Jesus and his precious blood. Folks, there are a lot of things that are taking place right now where churches have shifted over the last, well, really the last year, I guess, where churches have shifted their doctrine to have a basis of social justice rather than the righteousness of Jesus' blood. You've got churches and even denominations that are decrying the social injustice that they perceive here on the earth. And they're shifting their whole ministries toward that, the fixing of that problem or what they perceive to be a problem.
there are some that are proclaiming that Jesus was a social justice warrior. But folks, Jesus didn't try to fix social injustice. In fact, when people would try to draw him into those, uh, in that direction, Jesus would turn them back toward seeking the kingdom of God and the things of God first. Now, when you say things like that, especially in this day as things go further and further toward the devil's agenda, when you say things like that, people are quick to label you. And the label they choose is racist. Folks recognizing, or let me say it the other way, acknowledging that God wants us to stick with the word rather than social justice issues doesn't mean that we've got our head in the sand about what's wrong with the world around us. It doesn't mean that we're saying, or I'm saying, that there aren't racial issues that should be fixed. But there's a big difference in lending your support toward issues of racism that should be fixed in whatever way possible and changing your ministry from the foundation of the word to current events. Jesus goes on to answer their question. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. This word nation is the word ethnos. It's where we get our English word ethnic. So he's saying that people will be divided on race. Folks, that's certainly happening. Again, keep in mind the premise for which we're talking about these things. And that is that spiritual atmosphere changes. And we're in a place right now where the spiritual atmosphere has made some tremendous and significant changes over the last couple of years. So he says one of the things that will divide us, and remember that's the whole purpose for deception, is to divide the people of God from the truth of the word and from what God would have us to do and live and stand for. So one of the things he says that will divide us is the issue of race. We might as well settle in on that one, folks. That's going to be with us until Jesus comes. The other, he says, kingdom shall rise against kingdom. That's talking about geographic territories. Look at the political arguments that are taking place about whether or not we should say put America first or just join in with the globalization group so that everybody can have an equal share, so to speak. So we're going to be divided on that. 
Notice the next thing he says is there shall be famines. In 2021, there will be an additional 130 million people that die of starvation because of the interruption in the supplies that are provided by businesses due to the lockdowns that have taken place around the world. They already know that. It's a function of math. 130 million people will die of starvation that wouldn't have died except for the corona lockdowns. The suspension of world economies. That's kind of like a famine, isn't it? Notice the next thing he says is pestilence. Now this word pestilence is speaking here, and it's, every time the word is used in the New Testament, it's not always speaking of sickness and disease, but in this case, it speaks of disease. Now what would a disease look like to qualify for Jesus talking about signs of the end? Here's another touchy subject because if you disagree with the prevailing view concerning the coronavirus, then you're labeled as a denier, somebody that doesn't care about people, and so forth. And usually that's tied back into racism some way or another too. Folks, there are some real issues that are facing us that I believe that we need to seek out the truth for. I'm not interested in my opinion being accepted by anybody. I'm interested in the truth. And you've got two organizations primarily that are pushing the extreme idea and the 19 stuff. One organization is the World Health Organization. The other is the Center, uh, CDC, Centers for Disease Control. Both of those are globalist organizations. The World Health Organization is propped up and operates by Chinese donations. But the CDC works primarily in America and according to their own statistics, they identify that the number of people that are credited as dying from the coronavirus is way off base. It's skewed in tremendous measure. In September, I believe it was, the, Centers for, the Center for Disease Control identified that of the death toll at that time, 91 were people that died from other things that they associated with the coronavirus. Now, that might be somebody that has a respiratory condition that the coronavirus triggered 
and their death was caused by the respiratory condition rather than the coronavirus. Well, we would want to see what those numbers are. But folks, uh, and again, this is according to the CDC's own information that died from the coronavirus. There were 9,000 people at that time in September that died of poisoning. Now, how does the coronavirus make you poison, get poisoned? 160,000 now, I believe. Only contains about 9% of people that died directly from the coronavirus. Why do they keep adding to the number then? And say only 9% of those died directly from the coronavirus. There's something. He said the death count is a fact. It seems to me that if the concern was really to keep people healthy, then the medical community would be willing to jump onto anything that increases the chances of somebody surviving that has the coronavirus. But do you remember months ago when those 3,000 doctors, frontline doctors, were talking about the benefits of a hydroxychloroquine? And there were some tremendous results that the doctors were trying to shouldn't. It was readily available. It's hard to even remember anymore. Just the short several months ago when these things were presented. But instead, we've got to have a vaccine. And apparently we have a vaccine now. It's clear the FDA test is 99.23% the vaccine has an effective ratio too. It's 94%. So the world's been put on hold. Been given false or at least, at the very least, hyped information than the virus itself. It means, if we can say it in just layman's terms, it means you've got a better chance of recovering from the coronavirus than you would have if you took the vaccine for the coronavirus. So then the discussions begin about whether they would mandate the taking of the vaccine. Because if you understand the reality of what's going on, why would you take it? Well, they can't have that. Now, what does this come down to? Does this come down to just big pharmacy wanting to make more money? Paul told us that the love of money was the root of all evil. Then shall many be offended and betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now folks, what's the purpose in the devil increasing or the changing of the spiritual atmosphere? What's the purpose from his standpoint, from his agenda and his plan and his purpose? 
What's he trying to accomplish through, deceitful, through the deceitfulness and the lies that are taking place that are now governing our lives? The answer is very simple. He's trying to make you change the way you live. Paul said by the Holy Ghost, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This word perilous means dangerous, but it also means strength reducing times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, apparently these were the two magicians that were in Pharaoh's court. And remember when Moses threw a stick down on the ground, it turned into a snake. Well, they did the same thing with the same results. Only Moses' snake ate up theirs. So apparently that's who this Janus and Jambres are. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, as also was. What's the point? of him giving us this list of behaviors because the Holy Ghost is trying to show us that the perilous times, the strength-reducing times, the times of the spiritual atmosphere being affected to such a degree as it is now, the devil's trying to get you to change the way you live. Let our love wax cold. And live offended rather than live according to the things of God. It's important in my so that we not get pulled away from the truth. Proverbs 16 verse 38 separates even the chief friends or the closest of friends. But we're seeing that division take place around us now. And people are allowing themselves to get pulled away. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Paul, love the more as you see the day approaching. Imagine that that would have had anything to do with a lockdown. But notice how the devil works. The devil wants to divide you from people that it will encourage you. Now the people that are calling for this lockdown and this no congregating and folks, my purpose, my goal, my goal and my aim, one thing that my time with Brother Hagen, well, both of us, Beth and myself both, 
one of the things that we got from Brother Hagen, apart from and along with the truth of the Word of God concerning the operation of faith, the things, many things, because Brother Hagen lived what he preached, there are so many things that we gained from him and that we'll always maintain as part of our own lives, things that were imparted to us, things that we caught from him. But one of the things that makes, brings uh, almost to the top of the list was how Brother Hagen would teach us, show us the importance of staying steady. Now, the time that we were with Brother Hagen was not a particularly dangerous spiritual atmosphere. I've never seen anybody operate with more grace and love after fighting the opposition of the devil through people that unless God is sending us to do something just stay steady one of the things that I see as a result of this increase in the devil's work that's changing the spiritual atmosphere of the country is these terms. But after the first lockdown, I think somebody's told me that we stayed, uh, we went for six weeks having this Sunday morning service was to be steady. 